In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God of precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Saturday in Athens podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show. I am your host, Seth Saunders, and on our next installment of the Georgia Story interview series, we are fired up to be joined by Stacy Willingham. She is a 2013 graduate of the University of Georgia. She is a New York Times bestselling author, and she is my good neighbor here in the Lowcountry. So, Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, so we have to tell everybody that's listening is we're doing this in person today. We are. Which is normally not our protocol, which is outstanding. So yeah. we're getting to kind of hang and, uh, and and hear your story. So first thing I want to chat with you about is what brought you to the Lowcountry here in Charleston. Yeah, sure. So um, I am actually... From the low country, I would say. My family moved here when I was 12 years old from Chicago, though I was technically born in North Carolina. I lived there for a couple years first. But yeah, I've been in Charleston for uh, over half my life at this point. Um, went to high school here, moved away for a couple years, of course, to go to UGA, and then lived in Atlanta for a few years after that. And then my um, now husband and I just found ourselves driving back every weekend to go to the beach and go out on the boat. And we were finally like, why don't we just, why don't we just move there? <laughs> so yeah. we've been here ever since. And you came here like around middle school, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how, when did, where were we all before that? Uh, Chicago for six years prior, and then North Carolina, Winston Salem, six years prior to that. Okay. And then when you were at Wando, the high school here, mm-hmm. do you have siblings or like what's your, what's your family set up? Yeah. So I have uh, one older sister, Mallory, and um, she, she and I are three school years apart. So my freshman year at Wando, she was a senior. And then uh, my freshman year at UGA, she was a senior. And she's actually the reason why I went to UGA. I, I just followed her there. <laughs> yeah. So what, what year did she graduate then? She graduated Georgia in 2010. Okay. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So she was there like 06, 07, yeah. 10. Mm-hmm. Oh, so she was there for some fun teams. She oh, was yeah. There for oh, like yeah. the Matthew Stafford, she no was. Sean Moreno yep, spots. Yep. Yeah. That was her era. Oh, that's great. So that was the, I, I was going to be my next question is like, what was the initial exposure to UGA? What was kind of the path led to that? But it sounds like it was her being there. It huh? was her. Yeah, it was definitely her. I, um, living in Charleston and going to Wando, a lot of my friends were going to USC or Clemson or College Charleston, which were actually here uh, in the College Charleston Library yeah. in the podcast studio. So I had all those schools on my radar. Um, but my sister went to Georgia and I visited her once, I think my junior year when I was kind of testing the waters of different schools. And, um, of course, once you visit Athens, it's kind of hard to (laughs) picture yourself anywhere else. And so, uh, I applied because of her and, uh, and got in and, and really she was the only person I knew there. You know, of course we both went out of state going, coming from Charleston over to Georgia. Um, but yeah, just fell in love with it and we got to spend, uh, two year, a year and a half there together too. So. Yeah, so the first time that I ever went to Athens was 2003. Mm-hmm. We went for the Auburn-Georgia game that year for Deep South Solace rivalry, and it was, yeah. to, like, to your point, it was just such an exposure point oh, where, yeah. like, you're there, and you're like, my brother and I were kind of like, what, what is this place? Oh, like, it's, yeah. 
It's the best place, and it's it's so hard to describe. And then, of course, when you have friends from other schools come visit you, they're like, "I don't. How is this even real?" And you're like, "Oh, I know." <laughs> so we've had other guests on that we've asked this because we love a good love story on this show. Mm-hmm. So tell us about how you you met your better half. Oh God, uh, yeah, my husband and I met uh, at Georgia as well. He's a big uh, dog fan, and we. Technically, we kind of met twice. Uh, We met the very first time our junior year um, on spring break in Key West because everyone from, uh, you know, everyone our year in Athens went down to Key West that year and we met on the beach. And um, and then a couple months go by and we kind of forgot we met each other. Like we just didn't really see each other all that much. And then he was throwing a um, goodbye party for his best friend who was transferring to Old Miss at the end of junior year, and he invited me because he knew I was also friends with him. And so then we reconnected at that party at the end of junior year at Bourbon Street. And then, yeah, I know that's where uh, we found love in a hopeless place. (laughs) We've been together ever since. I love that. (laughs) Oh, that's outstanding. What's funny about that is we usually go to Bourbon Street to try to relive some some glory days. It's the exact same. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. That's outstanding. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about this because it's something that's close to my heart, too. But I know you had some good experiences abroad while you were um, in Athens. So tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, so I I actually was lucky enough to study abroad twice. Um, The first time I went to Cortona. Italy and did a uh, the the class was called viticulture and enology in the Mediterranean region which is kind of a fancy way of saying it was a wine tasting class <laughs> and uh, so yeah I was there for a summer and I just got to taste a bunch of wine and pair it with food and it was amazing uh, got to travel around a little bit in Italy there as well um, saw Barcelona for a weekend and then the following summer I studied abroad in London and that was actually less of a study abroad program and more of a um, Georgia would help place you with an internship. Mm-hmm. So I worked for a um, PR and like video production company in London called Bespoke Banter for a summer. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So my wife and I both studied abroad nice. in Florence. Okay. Yeah. And so love that area. So situate our listeners. Where is Cortona? If they know where Florence is and they know where Rome is, I know it sits in Tuscany. I'm not but... the person to ask. I was <laughs> going to say it's in Tuscany yeah. and that's all I can really tell you. But yeah. it's a tiny little town. That's and, what I, if yeah. I remember right, I think it's like a little bit east of Siena yeah. a little bit south of Florence. Yeah, it's a small town um, and Georgia students go there uh, throughout the year. I think they have a, a study abroad program there every single semester and and so it's really neat because it's a really authentic, tiny little town, but yeah. also they're so accustomed to the Georgia students being there. Yeah, um, There's bars and restaurants that the kids all kind of flock to, and um, everyone in the town knows, you know, Georgia students go there all the time. Now, when you were in London, you said you had an internship with the Bespoke, mm-hmm. and was the path when you were at Georgia, the thinking that that was going to be the field that you wanted to go into, or kind of what what did you think your, your professional path would look yeah. like? Yeah, you know... Originally, I so I majored in magazine journalism, and then I got a minor in fashion merchandising. And I thought I wanted to work at like a lifestyle magazine or mm-hmm. something like that. I always loved to write, um, but I also loved graphic design. So I wasn't really sure if I wanted to focus on the writing or the graphic design. The cool part about the um, magazine journalism program at Georgia is they kind of let you dabble in all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the yeah that the internship at Bespoke was. Um, I got to do a little bit of all that. Like I got to write copy. I got to help with video production. I got to do graphic design, a little bit of photography. I got to tour the um, Ramel London like makeup plant and see how they made like mascara and stuff like that and shoot video. So it was super cool. And 
I, I spent a lot of my time in college actually not knowing like exactly what I wanted to yeah. do. I yeah. knew what I liked and I kind of was starting to get a feel of what I was good at. But um, I, 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 my career took all kinds of directions after I graduated before I landed. And so what did that look like? Was Were you writing on the side when you were working? Or what was the, I guess, what was the genesis of saying, hey, this is something that brings me joy and this is something that I want to pursue? Yeah, so it was after I graduated Georgia, um, I was trying to find a job at a magazine. And it was really, really difficult to find one. So I actually, I took an internship right after college at college, uh, um at the uh, Charleston Magazine here in town, but actually in the graphic design department. So I was starting to go down like this graphic design uh, path for a while. And then after that internship, I actually got a job back in Atlanta um, for a marketing company where I was doing like content creation and copywriting and stuff like that. And so I enjoyed that, but I felt like a little bit creative, like creatively stilted, I guess. Like I wasn't getting Mm -hmm. to do what really brought me joy. And so because I did so much magazine journalism work at Georgia, I started writing um, freelance magazine articles. And that was a way for me to one, like do more writing and choose the stories I wanted to tell, but also make a little extra money. And Mm -hmm. so I was doing that, um, you know, at at night and over the weekends and stuff like that. And I actually started uh, selling quite a few articles and making a nice little side business doing this freelance journalism stuff. And um, I enjoyed it so much that I got, I went back to school and got my MFA from SCAD while I was still working full time. So I was working during the day and then going to class at night. And, um, and what I, what I noticed pretty quickly was the, the articles I was writing, I was like, my editors, they were like, this is great, but it's like five times too long. So they would have to slash all the stuff and they were cutting all the, my favorite, like the descriptive language and things like that. And so I kind of started to think to myself, maybe it's not journalism that I want to do, but creative writing. And so then um, I sat down and really just tried to see if I would enjoy writing a book. And uh, it took my very first book that I wrote, took me about three years and it was a lot of trial and error, but I just loved it. So kind of self-taught and I kind of just stumbled into it. Okay, so your first book is something I am extremely interested in <laughs> because everybody listening is going to hear you say first book, and yeah. they're going to think A Flicker in the Dark. Yeah. But that was not your first book. No, it was not. So I want you to explain the story of your first book, mm-hmm. not just the writing process, but kind of its life story. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, there's, um, you know, when you say your debut, like A Flicker in the Dark is my debut, and that means your first published book. But most authors, not all, but most have at least one, if not several books um, that they write before their debut comes out that they just never managed to get published. And um, I definitely am a member of that club. So my um, my very first book was, like I mentioned, it was another psychological thriller. And um, it took me three years to write. And then, you know, I learned a lot during my MFA, but when it comes to publishing and the publishing industry, I was kind of self-taught. So I was just kind of stumbling around trying to figure out like, all right, I have this book, so what do I do with it? And I learned online that you, uh, if you want to go the traditional publishing route, you need a literary agent. So I made a massive Excel sheet of every single literary agency I could find. And then I went through um, every single literary agency website, picked the one agent from each agency that I thought wanted what I have. Because they um, they all have these profiles on their on their website saying, you know, I... I represent this genre. I'm look. I like these books. I like these authors. I'm looking for this, and so you try to get like super specific with it. 
Um, and then I basically went down the line and queried all these different agents. And um, for the next two years, that's what I was doing, was querying this book. And I was rejected by 115 of them. So uh, at a certain point, I had been working on this book for five years, three years writing it, two years trying to get an agent for it. And um, I was kind of on the brink of giving up. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew that this was a common, this this happened. I mean, I, I had listened to stories from some of my favorite authors and heard similar paths of, you know, you just, you get rejected over and over and over again, but you just need one person to say yes. Um, so then I, I came up with the idea for A Flicker in the Dark, and it was intriguing enough for me to set aside that first book that I spent five years working on and just try something new. So, um, so yeah, I just set that book aside, and then I wrote A Flicker in the Dark, and that took me a year and a half, so I cut my writing time down by half. Um, and then in contrast, the, um, the journey to publication for Flickr was, was totally different. I, um, started querying and the fifth agent I queried, um, emailed me back immediately and, uh, asked me to get on the phone. And a week later I was represented. So it was crazy. <laughs> this is, this is why this is my favorite, right? Because we talked to a lot of people on this podcast that have chased down a dream and inherent in all those stories, the, the similarity that they share is that they all experienced some type of setback or failure that I think most people would be so discouraged by that that may end the journey. And so I can't even fathom that with a book because I know how much time and energy that takes to A, you know, there's a lot of vulnerability in writing oh, yeah. and putting what's inside your brain down on paper and then asking, am I crazy or is this good? Yeah. And so in some ways it's almost like you know, you're raising your own child with this book, right? Yeah. And so for it not to go where you thought it would go, what was the transition space like to get to Flickr? And yeah. how difficult was one to put to bed and then the other one well, to come really, alive? Yeah, that's a really good question. It took a lot for me to finally abandon that first one because to your point, you know, five years is a long time to be working on something. And I just kind of felt like, you know, that's five years of my life kind of not wait, not life wasted because so much happened in my life outside yeah. of that. You know, I was just writing at night and over the weekends and stuff, but I wanted it so bad and it was five years. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, so I'm just going to start all over again. And who am I to think this time is going to be different? And maybe I'm not good. I thought I was, but maybe I'm not. Like it's all those, those uh, feelings kind of going through your head. But what's kind of nice about getting rejected that many times is first of all, the majority, you know, there were some form rejections where you just get like a sentence that says, thanks for querying, but no, not for me. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you get uh, just nothing. No one, you just never hear back. And then sometimes agents will really take the time to send you a personalized rejection, which sounds, you know, it's still a rejection, but a lot of agents were very encouraging. And they said like, you've got something, keep like this, this isn't it, at least for me, but keep writing. Mm -hmm. And um, hearing that was encouraging. And then I also think experiencing that much rejection, a little part of you starts to fear it less. Like when you create something, your biggest fear when you create something is that you're going to put it out in the world and no one's going to like it. And that happened to me like 115 times. And so as much as it hurt, I kind of stopped being afraid of it. And so in that sense, it was easier not easier to write a flicker in the dark, but I think it was more authentic because I allowed myself to like, all right, this is the story I want to tell. This is how I want to tell it. This is my voice. Like, I'm not going to try to make this book anything other than exactly what I want to make it because I've already experienced people telling me they don't like what I have. So like, who, who cares? Like, I'm just going to do it for me. 
Yeah, that's a super interesting point because I feel like anytime you are pursuing a creative endeavor, in some ways in your brain you're going, well, should I write it this way so mm -hmm. that X, Y, and Z will like it? And so it sounds like what you're saying is this almost freed you up to say, I'm just going to write it how I like it. And if they decide to move forward with it, awesome. And if they don't, I'm at least writing something that I feel good and authentic about. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I that very first book I wrote, in a lot of ways, I like it, but I, I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't confident in my voice and kind of like what unique um, aspect I could bring to the table. And so it was very commercial, you know, it was like this third person, alternating points of views, like very what we were seeing published at the time mm -hmm. in the thriller space. And so I thought I was writing something like, yeah, this is very marketable. This will get published. And um, A Flicker in the Dark was totally different. Like it was first person. There's this like weaving of past and present in a way that's a little bit unusual. And um, but yeah, to your point, I just decided I'm going to make this book kind of authentically me and not try to make it a bestseller. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to make it this like marketable thing. I know I can sell. I'm just going to write what I want to write. And I think that resonates with people. Um, I can always tell when I read a book, that's like this book came from that person's heart. You know, it yeah. just makes a big, it, you can tell it comes across on the page. What was the title of the book that never made it to publication? Uh, it was, it went through two titles because oftentimes it, a flicker in the dark and my second book, all the dangerous things have also gone through multiple titles. So when I first wrote it, it was called the six year secret. And then, uh, I changed it about halfway through my querying process to trigger, which kind of has a double meaning. There was like a gun trigger and a trigger, like an emotional trigger kind yeah. of, um, I love that. Well, I, I just think there's something to giving some power to that name, right? Because absent that one, maybe these don't happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I agree. It's, I call it my practice book. Like I yeah. learned a lot from it. I'm happy that I wrote it. I'm never going to let anyone read it, but like it served its purpose. Um, but I also tell people, you know, aspiring authors and, and things of that nature that you can't let the rejection make you quit because after those five years like it was very tempting to just quit uh and not try again because it's so time consuming and the rejections really hurt you know but um but yeah I mean I, I think about that all the time as if I had kind of given into that and just quit these books here that I have now would not exist and um, my life would be completely I think one of the beauties of somebody that pursues art and pursues their own inner art is that in some ways, and tell me if I'm, I'm wrong on this, but I, I've gotten this feeling from some of the musicians that we've spoken with that write music is in some ways, doesn't your work become your own scrapbook? Like everything that you have created becomes a hallmark of where you were and what was happening in your life along that path. And so, I don't know, I just think there's some beauty in that. Yeah, that is so true. And that's actually something that's what I find so unique about writing books is, you know, when I started writing A Flicker in the Dark, I was, gosh, 25, 26. And um, I'm 32 now. I'm a pretty different person at 32 than I was at 25. Right. Or just, you know, there's growth that happens, you know, naturally. And But there's like snapshots of my life that are forever published in this book that people will be able to read for the rest of time if they want to. So yeah. that's very interesting. If I, you know, I don't really go back and read my old books. I, I just, I don't know, for some reason, I just can't bring myself to do it. But if I were to go back, I know I would find passages of like, I remember struggling with this thought that day, or I remember that news story that day that piqued this interest that I then injected into this character. Yeah. I mean, it is very much a scrapbook of, of the last uh, 10 years of my life, these two books. So 
So I want to hear this piece of the Flickr story. Mm. I understand that the release date for it was January 11th, yes. 2022, mm-hmm. which as all Georgia fans listening to this podcast will remember because it was the morning after one of the greatest days of the last four decades. Yes. The dogs going to Indy and in some way shocking the world yep. and beating Alabama to win the national title. So I guess give us a snapshot of what that 48 hours looked like for you. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll also say All the Dangerous Things came out on January 12th, 2023, which was also the day after the national (laughs) championship. So I always tell people I've published two books, and both of them came out the morning after the dogs went to the national championship, which made for two very rough mornings, but also the best two days of my life. (laughs) Well, I think this may set up beautifully then for January 2024, and only if you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I know. There could be a lot of symmetry here. That could be a lot, I know. I'm going to try and go for a three-peat there, I think. But, um, yeah, it was crazy. So, on the one hand, I couldn't go, which was really sad. Yeah, I couldn't go, and I really wanted to go, and my husband was like, his bags were packed, and I was like, this is my (laughs) debut novel, you're going to be there with me, like, to his credit, he didn't go, but um, the second year it happened, he was like, look, I was here last time, I'm going to go, so he (laughs) went to California, I stayed home, but um, yeah, it was nuts, we, so the night before, I had my very first book event, it was a uh, virtual um, interview on Instagram Live called, um, it's a, a Instagram program that a fellow author named Vanessa Lilly does called Twas the Night Before Book Launch. And every night before an author's book launch, she interviews them on Instagram. So that was my very first event. And of course, I was super nervous. And it trickled into the beginning of the, um, the championship a little bit. And so... I had to just turn off my notifications on my phone and like do this on Instagram live. And then as soon as we were done, I uh, hopped in the car and met. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT and more made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. My friends at home team downtown and watched it. And, um, I mean, screaming, crying, tears. We stayed up way too late. And then the next day I had to do all the book things. So Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I can't even imagine that just kind of revelry of emotion, having to have all of that on the professional side, but then have like this yeah. thing on the personal side that you're also very vested in. Yeah. And have, like the convergence of that. Yeah, it lot. was amazing. And what was also amazing is um, the next morning waking up and celebrating the release of my debut and so many friends and former classmates from UGA were and have been so supportive. Yeah. And just seeing like the flood of Instagram stories and things like that of people saying like, this is the best day ever. Like the dogs won and Stacy's debut is out. I mean, it was just incredible. I just felt like everyone was in such a good mood that day. And uh, yeah, it made for the most memorable debut launch. Yeah. So, so take me through a little bit more of that from the UGA side, because we've heard from a lot of folks that have harkened back on not just like the great experience they had there as an undergrad, but the the just exceptional community mm-hmm. that the university provides and kind of the, the lifelong embrace you get yeah. from, from being a Georgia grad. How has how how that played its way out in your life? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's – yeah, the Georgia community is like nothing else, honestly. It's – um, my best friends I met at Georgia, my husband I met at Georgia, you know, my – 
all the girls that I just became really close with at school are still, you know, we talk every single day still. We, I graduated 10 years ago and we still talk every day. And um, this first thing that my husband and I did when we moved back to Charleston was seek out the Charleston Dogs chapter. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, during the fall, we go to home team downtown every single Saturday and we're surrounded by Georgia fans. And even if you don't know them, you're still like, we have this little bubble of community in a completely yeah. new state. And it made it a lot easier to make that transition from college where all your friends are always right there. And even when I moved to Atlanta immediately after college, it's still like a mini Athens a little bit, Mm -hmm. like a lot. There's a cluster of Georgia people that kind of moved to Atlanta right after you graduate. And in Charleston, we were able to find that through like the UGA alumni association. Um, And, and to your point, even just people that I don't know have been so supportive because, you know, they went to Georgia too. And so they want to support a bulldog and, um, you know, one of the coolest experiences of my life was going back to Athens uh, sometime last year for a game. I can't remember what game it was. And I uh, popped into the UGA bookstore and they had a flicker in the dark, like prominently on display. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's been awesome. Oh, that's really, really cool. I mean, how, that's almost like a chicken skin moment. You hear something like that, you like walk in and it's like, man, this is the place that I feel like poured into me. And now, you know, I'm getting to be back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's like I remember buying my first UGA t-shirt there, like being a freshman walking through the bookstore, and now my book was, you know, just right there on display. So after that happens, okay, Flickr was very successful, New York Times bestseller. It's got to, like, fill you up with so much pride and Mm -hmm. so much accomplishment, especially after what you went through for your five-year journey to get there. Mm -hmm. And then, or maybe even more than that, if you think about the creative process and all those things. So then what is the pivot and shift like then? to writing all the dangerous, you know, trying to put the same amount of energy and all those type things. Yeah. So I, so yeah, so I got a two book deal with the Flickr in the dark, which basically means my um, publisher bought Flickr and then they bought whatever I was going to write next. And there's a whole different amount of pressure that comes with that because they don't know what I'm going to write next. They don't know if I'm like, maybe I'm a one hit wonder. Maybe I don't know how to write another book, you know? And um, so my agent gave me the best advice I could have ever asked for as soon as we signed uh, my deal. And he said, if you can write your second book before your first one even comes out, because uh-huh. yeah, because he anticipated the, the pressure and the reviews. And he was like, look, people are going to review your book, you know, readers, but also professional reviewers, magazines, and it could go one of two ways. They could love it. And then how are you ever going to live up to that? It's right. going to be paralyzing. Or they could hate it, and then you're going to have such a confidence crisis, you're never going to be able to write authentically ever again. Right. So just write it before it's even out, before you even know what people think about it. And I'm just so grateful that he said that because, um, yeah, so, so I, I ended up leaving my full-time job, and then I had about a year just to write. So there was no travel, there was no promotion, like Flickr was in copy editing and kind of the behind the scenes stuff. And so I had one year just to write and I wrote all the dangerous things in about eight months because that's all I was doing was writing. And, um, and that book like flowed out of me in a way that like, it was easy. I mean, they, there's this thing in publishing called the sophomore slump. Yeah. And I just didn't experience that with all the dangerous things. I think because of what my agent said, it's funny. I, I struggled with my third book the way a lot of people struggle with their second, I think because of that reason. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, all the dangerous things was surprisingly uh, simple for me to write. I think because I just had nothing but time and I didn't have all those other voices in my head. Yeah. So only if you're lucky. 
Yes. Set to be released in January 2024. That's correct. Third book to be released in three years. So I have to ask this from a creation perspective. Are you a pantser or a plotter? I'm a pantser. And I'm impressed that you know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So you just sit down and whatever we're feeling, whatever is coming to heart and mind that day is what's getting on the paper. Pretty much, yeah. And um, so I know, I have to know, for me, when I decide to sit down and write a story, I have the main idea, like the big idea is how I explain it. So, for example, Flicker in the Dark, the big idea is, like, what would it be like if your father was a serial killer? Mm -hmm. And what would you do if you were the reason why he got put behind bars and then all of a sudden his crimes start happening again? Like, what would you do? That was the big idea. Um, All the dangerous things, the big idea was, um, what would it feel like to be trapped inside the mind of a sleep-deprived mother who was desperately searching for her missing son? Um, so I have this big idea that kind of propels the whole book forward. And then I always know the twist because for me, the twist is what makes it worth writing. Um, if I don't know the twist, I'm not excited enough about it to spend the next several years of my life working on it. Um, but then I don't, but other than that, I, yeah, I don't know anything that comes in the middle. Um, I just kind of sit down and figure it out. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my follow up to that would then be if, as you're progressing through that, do you... If, if you're done writing at three o'clock and you're like, I got nothing else today, this is all I'm going to do. Do you leave yourself breadcrumbs for the next day? Like, I'm going to stop at this half page because I know how the next page is going to end and it'll flow me through? Or oh. is it I'm cutting it dry today and then I'm sitting down tomorrow and I'm going to start again? It really depends. I mean, I think as a as a pantser, I'm naturally not very organized, <laughs> so I don't have much of a system down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my, my system, I think, is when I'm working on a book, I'm always sort of thinking about the next one. And I, I make sure I don't leave anything in my head. Like, I need to know, I need to make sure, like, I'm, if, if I'm going to forget this, I don't want to forget this, I'm going to jot it down. So yeah. kind of my system is while I'm working on one book, I'm thinking about the next one, and then I'm writing, like, notes in my notes app on my phone. I kind of jot down scenes, like, on a Word doc on my computer. And then I have, so I have, I, I guess those are kind of my breadcrumbs. It's yeah. like I leave myself little breadcrumbs, and then the next day, whatever I'm feeling, I'll start writing there. I mean, I write chronologically I rarely just like write a random scene in the middle of the book yeah um but yeah I don't have much of a system to it so for only if you're lucky what has you said that's the one you've struggled with more than the other two Mm -hmm. what does it feel like to have that one out and done from your side and now kind of I would assume working through the copy side and making Mm -hmm. everything edited and clean and look like it's going to be for publication but is there relief in that or is now there this thought of oh boy what am I going to do for my fourth yeah, uh, there's both. Those feelings definitely exist uh, side by side. On the one hand, I do know what my fourth is going to be because, like I said, you're always, I at least am always thinking ahead. So I actually just started writing my fourth last week. Oh, cool. uh, this is about the time where that starts now yeah. because it'll be a, a year and a half until that one comes out, which mm-hmm. is about, you know, about right. It'll take a, a somewhat, a little less than a year to write the first draft. And then there's the edits and the copy editing and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, there's always this sense of like just looming doom when you stare <laughs> at like a blank word doc and I'm like, I got to do it again, you yeah, know, and, yeah. but it never gets easier. But I've had a lot of uh, other authors tell me that like every time you start a new book, you have this imposter syndrome that f- just rears its ugly head and you convince yourself that last time was different and you can't do it again, but you always figure out how to do it again. So, well, I'm sure the fourth one just like 
the first two and this pending third one will be outstanding. Thank you. And we will certainly be following and rooting for you, Thank you. As, uh, as, as all those things are about to come out. So um, we want to close with you today with something to do with all our guests. It's called the Smart 16. Okay. It's like 16 quick-hitting questions okay. in honor of the number that Coach Smart wore when he was a player. Oh, UGF. I love that. Okay. okay. So first question is, what's your middle name? Marie. And is Marie a family name or like? It is a family yeah. name. It was my mom's middle name. And I think she got it. So, yeah, family okay. name. Cool, cool. All right. Who is your favorite dog of all time? Oh, my favorite dog of all time. I have a soft spot for Todd Gurley. Yeah. I have his jersey. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we saw him. We went to the opener against Oregon last year. Yeah. And we went to the uh, DGD Mafia tailgate. Uh-huh. And he was there. And, I mean, he looks big on TV. Yeah. He is a large American. I yeah. Mean, he, is, yeah. <laughs> he is a big boy. He is a big guy. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he's one of the best. Okay. What is your favorite game you've experienced as a Dogs fan? I'm going to have to say uh, the, the 2020, 2022 Peach Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Georgia, uh, Ohio State. Because there was, A, that game was just an incredible game. Yeah. B, it was on New Year's Eve. Yeah. And it was in Atlanta. And so there were so many dog fans there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just incredible. I went with my, uh, my husband and um, – my sister and my brother-in-law and it was just like I remember the the midnight countdown and the um countdown like clock just hitting zero at the exact same time it was like it was cinematic yeah exactly (laughs) oh that's so cool y'all were in the bends that night we talked to a lot of people that were there and they said it was just magical it was was essentially just like you're tense and frustrated and this stinks and then it was just eight minutes of fury and joy Mm -hmm. to to end it yeah it was amazing oh that's great all right what is your favorite rivalry that the dogs have favorite rivalry um i'm gonna say the good old georgia florida yeah we went every year of course yeah and uh yeah it's crazy (laughs) yeah that that's one of our favorites we love 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 the cocktail party and we will revisit that later in the countdown (laughs) because it's because it's one of our favorites all right All right, what is your favorite away stadium in the Southeastern Conference? These are tough questions. Favorite away stadium? I might have to come back to that one. You know, yeah, I'm going to have to come back to that okay. one. I can't that, think that's, of it off That's of completely my head. fair. There's there's lots to choose from and lots of good atmospheres, I would say. So, yeah, yeah that's a tough one. I, you know, the first, as a South Carolinian, they're not in the SEC, but Clemson has a great stadium. Yeah. And that was the first one that came to mind because yeah. they run down that hill and the balloons kind of yeah. are released. And I've been to a million Clemson games. So that's yeah. the one that immediately popped into my head, but that feels like a cheat. Well, <laughs> I do feel like that's that's fair and an answer we can take because okay. that is a traditional Georgia rival. Yeah. A lot of folks within the fan contingent that want that to come back yeah. on a more regular basis. So we're going to take that. Okay. We're going to take the, the, the Death Valley of South Carolina. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. All right, what is the loudest home game you ever attended between the hedges? Oh man, I went to. You're. I feel like such a bad dog fan for not remembering these actual names. But one thing about me is I have a horrible memory, <laughs> which is why I have to write everything down. But it was uh, last year, and it was the game where it was torrentially downpouring, and not a single person left the stadium, and we like broke the the meter. I mean, it was oh, so Tennessee game. Yes, last year. It, Tennessee. Yeah. It was Tennessee. Yeah. yeah, my husband and I were there at the very top, pouring, and nobody left. Yeah. And we weren't going to leave. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, the stadium was, like, vibrating. We had uh, Brooke Whitmire on the show about a month ago, who's PA announcer there at Sanford Stadium. And yeah. he said, he for his money, that is probably the loudest he's ever heard Sanford in his 30 years yeah. as the announcer. That's so, amazing. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, it sticks out vividly in my mind how loud it was. And the fact that no one was leaving, even though the weather was so bad. Okay, you get to choose the headlining act at the Georgia Theater. Who do you choose? 
I'm going to say uh, REM. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. Yeah, I like that. I don't know that. I don't know that we've had that one yet. That's we have had other me. Athens bands. Yeah. Maybe, maybe one person. I can't remember. We've done a little over 50 of these now. So wow. I, I used to catalog them, and I haven't been as good at that now. Yeah. But I we've not heard REM as much as I thought we would. Okay. I'll put it that way. What's the what's is there any um, trends that you've picked up on? So we've heard Eric Church a lot. Okay. That's yeah. been one we've gotten a lot. Um, yeah, I would say that's probably the leader in the clubhouse. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I see that. Okay, what is the cocktail you're mixing for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? Mm, I I have been really big into uh, gin and tonics lately. Oh. Or like a gin gimlet. That's this, my go-to. This fills my heart with yeah, so much oh, warmth. Number one, a gin and tonic <laughs> is my favorite. Oh, I, I am like the judge in the movie Rounders when yeah. he asks him, Judge, what are you having to drink? Gin, always gin. Always gin. So I have a gin for you to try if you haven't already. Okay. It's the one I get every single year for football season, and it's the only one I drink on cocktail party weekend. Okay. It is a uh, British gin called Bulldog Gin. Oh, I love that. And the neck has a collared, spiked collar on it. Okay, well, we will be yeah. buying that. You can you get to. that locally? Yes, or? you can get it at Bottles. Okay, so, I'll yeah. be going to Bottles later. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> nice. You'll have to tell us what you think. Yeah. All right, I, I always tell our guests this. I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble, but if you're back in Athens for one meal and one meal only, where are you going? Last Resort. Yeah, that has been the most popular yeah. answer. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. I was back in Athens um, for my book tour in January, and uh, I had an event at the library um, with Avid bookstore yeah. the indie over there oh, it's great yeah they're the best yeah. and um yeah and i managed to it was like i don't know 9 p.m on a tuesday and i was like i'm gonna go to last resort and how often can you just like walk into last Never. resort i know yeah. so i had to do it and i got i mean the pecan the praline chicken and the yeah. cheesecake it was amazing well see i think that's the thing about last resort too that has the trump card it's almost like a two for one because mm-hmm. you get last resort for supper but then you also get cecilia's baked goods yeah so it's like yeah it's we took my sister there for her birthday, like, what now, two or three years ago. It was when Top Golf was at Sanford Stadium we went oh. for her birthday. Yeah, so. Very cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a classic. Okay, do you have any game day superstitions? Game day superstitions. Um, this is kind of a family, like my husband and I, it's like a joint superstition, but every single year I buy him a new Georgia polo, and then that's the only polo he wears for the entire fall. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's outstanding. So he's got one for every year, and it's just the only shirt he wears. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's what We are anxiously awaiting what this year's will look yeah, like. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> okay, what is your favorite Sanford Stadium pregame tradition, whether it is dog walk or Brooke Whitmire with all of his iconic sayings during the pregame or lone trumpet or whatever it may be? Uh, the lone trumpet gives me goosebumps i think every time i go back for a game and we hear that it's goosebumps and like immediate tears behind my sunglasses it's just a emotional moment yeah yeah we love that one that's a favorite of ours Mm -hmm. as well okay black jerseys yes or no yes i like the black jerseys yeah Yeah, us too yeah there's there's been some opposition to that people are very traditionalist about it and we're always like it's one of the colors. Right, it it's is. It's, it's one of the colors, and they only break them out, like, on occasion, yeah. so it makes it feel special. Yeah. I like it, yeah. yeah. Okay, what is the loss you're still not over? The loss I'm still not over. Again, I'm going to be bad about remembering the year of this, but I think it was junior, was it my junior year SEC against Alabama? Oh, yeah, 2012. Yeah, yeah. it was horrible. Yeah. I remember... I remember where I was. Like, I remember the bar stool I was sitting in when that happened. Yeah. And the, I mean, the bar was just so loud and rowdy. And then all of a sudden it was just silent. Yeah. 
and it stayed that way for like a solid five minutes. That just makes me feel good that you said that because obviously very common answer has been second and 26. Like yeah. It's been a lot of people's answer. And, and look, that was awful and terrible and whatever. But if you were around for 2012, yeah. that was a different kind of pain. It was I just horrible. can't really explain it. There's, I feel like as dog fans, we're used to, there were so many years where we just had such high hopes and then they were just crushed in the worst ways. Yeah. And that was kind of the start of it, I think, yeah. at least for my era at Georgia. Um, we're, we're finally out of that now, which is great. That's right. Yeah, that one hurt. Yeah, I get that. Okay, this question has changed. When we first started doing the show, the answer was, what is your order at the varsity? However, we made a vow that until they reopened a varsity yeah. in Athens, we would no longer ask the question. Okay, so now fair. we ask, how do you order your hash browns at the Waffle House? Oh, chopped, smothered, and capped. Oh, I love that. Yeah, outstanding order. Thank That's you. outstanding. I miss the varsity uh, feta fries, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing noon kickoffs, yes or no? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, good. I didn't even need you to finish the question on that one. <laughs> All right, and final question, college football playoff. We used to ask, expand to eight teams or find how it is, but now that they're expanding to 12, what we ask is, do you like the expansion or did you like it how they had it with four? Um, okay, my uninformed answer is going to be, I think I like it. I think I like it. Yeah. Just for something a little different, a little bit of a – I don't know. What, why? You don't, you don't seem to like my answer. No. we. I am of the opinion, and I've told multiple people this, which is not popular, but I like any opportunity to have more college football. Yeah. And I also like the opportunity to someday, if Georgia has a down year, to have a college football playoff game in Sanford. Yeah. Which I think oh. would be awesome. Yeah, that would um, be cool. So, yeah, I'm good with it. The, yeah. The more the better, and I think it's – it. we do every single other level of organized football with a quasi-tournament right. or playoff. So why not do it this way right. as well? So I'm yeah, good with it. I don't think I have a strong opinion on it one way or another. That's my gut reaction. I'm sure my husband has a strong opinion yeah. on it, and I'll hear from him after he listens to this if yeah. I've chose right or not. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's my that's my answer. Okay, well, you're, off, you're off the hot seat. Nice. You have completed the Smart 16, Great. so thank you for indulging us with that. Thank All right, you. before we let you go, please tell everybody listening how they can follow you, how they can support you, and then everything they can do to pre-order your new book. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so um, you can find me. My website is Stacy Willing. Um, and on there, all of my social channels are linked, but um, primarily on Instagram, it's Stacy V. Willingham. Also, um, Twitter and now threads at SV gotcha. Willingham. Um, Facebook at Stacy Willingham Author, I believe is my page name. So I'm on all of those, all of those platforms. Um, and yeah, my third book, Only If You're Lucky, comes out, I believe, January 16th. So it, it's probably the week after the championship this yeah. time, which means hopefully I can go. Um, but you can pre-order it anywhere books are sold. So um, Barnes & Noble, a local indie bookshop, um, Amazon, any any of those um, options are just fine. And as a fun little fact about Only If You're Lucky that hopefully this will pique uh, listeners' interest is it's a college campus psychological thriller. And it is not set in Athens. Um, it's set in a uh, fictional college town in South Carolina. But the house in which it um, occurs is based on the house I lived in in Athens on Cloverhurst. Oh, I love that yeah. nugget. Oh, we're gonna yeah. have to. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna have to let everybody know about that. <laughs> well, so what we'll do, we will link all that in the show notes. Okay. And we will probably, I think, what we'll do is we'll put a link to Avid too. So if folks want to go to Avid and pre-order, they can do it yes, there. Yes, that would that be way, great. Um, we can support you and support a local Athens business as well. Awesome. So, well, look, if y'all aren't uh, immediately running from this episode being over <laughs> and following Stacy everywhere you can follow her and supporting her in every way you can, I don't know what's wrong with you. She's obviously a damn good dog and easy to root for. So, uh, Stacy, thank you so much for thank spending you. time with us and sharing your story. 
And uh, yeah, we know you're going to keep doing great things. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, we and close. go dogs. Yeah, that's right. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.